Hello and welcome to the New York Film Academy Hour. I'm so excited because today we have the chair of acting from the Los Angeles School. It's Linda Goodfriend. We're going to tell you more about her right after this. Hello class, I'm Joelle Smith. And I'm Pegarad. And we are so excited because today we have Linda Goodfriend in the studio. Uh, if you, you know Linda Goodfriend, you do. She's mentioned her role in history when she played Lori Beth Cunningham, Kim, and Ginger on Happy Days. She's appeared in Pretty Woman Beaches with Bette Midler and Barbara Hershey. Uh, Goodfriend is in the studio tonight talking about all of the like great roles that she's played and, of course, her acting techniques and skills and what she brings to the New York Film Academy. We are so excited to have you here. Thank, Thank you. you for being with Thank us. Thank you very much. Absolutely. It's scary that you said everybody knows me because I, I get letters from people that send me birthday cards and I don't know them. And oh. Like, okay. okay, that's nice. <laughs> that is both sweet and a little yeah. terrifying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Anna Kendrick once received a diamond ring in the mail from a stranger and she was like, I can't keep this. It's weird. So she just threw it out. (laughs) Wow. Okay, where does she live? I'm going through a trash. (laughs) Well, do we start every show with the same question, which is, when did you know you were in love with movies? I'll try to make this short. Um, I was five, and my sister was six, and it was the first time we went to the movies, Um, and my mother gave us each a quarter. This is a long time ago, just so you know. There was no television yet, scary as that was, or at least in our house. We got... Each of us got a quarter, and it was like the most money I ever had in my life. And so she dropped us off in front of this place with the marquee, and my sister said, we're going to the movies. I said, okay. So, you know, I'm holding on to my quarter for dear life, and she says, well, give the lady the, the quarter so you can get a ticket. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not giving up my quarter. She says, no, 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 trust me, it's going to be good. So I gave my quarter, got the ticket, we got jujubes. We go in there, and the movie was The Fly, <gasps> black and white. And all I remember was that it was this great dark theater and this picture of this man in a doctor's suit with this huge fly head comes out of this machine and the rest of the movie I was under the seat. Pretty much (laughs) the whole movie. But I loved it. Something about that experience in the dark, something magical, exciting, I've never seen before. I just love movies. And then the second movie I remember was in color. It was uh, uh, The Big Top, something like that, a circus movie, and I wanted to run away to the circus. And that was it. I mean, I just, I love movies. You know, when I lived in New York, I would find any excuse to just go by myself to the movies whenever I had a chance. So I love, I love it. Movies. Do you remember your first professional acting experience? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> acting or, well, let me go back. I, I started out as a singer-dancer and then kind of brought acting into it. And when I moved to New York, um, my first job was doing the can-can in some theater in New Jersey. Wow. And that was my first paid job. Yeah. Are we talking like the... Uh, Old school Southwest like uh, frilly skirts and everything. Right. Yeah, the whole the whole uh, thing. It was some. I don't know. I don't even remember the place, but that was my. I, I felt like I I book, I came to New York to do mm. this, and I booked a job, and okay. uh, it did go up from there. Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us about when you were first bitten by the acting bug? I thought you were like there's animals in here. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll tell you this this story again. Hopefully short. Um, I was 15, and I 
loved acting and I was in high school acting and uh, a few friends of, of mine we were going uh, had an opportunity to go to a very famous acting school for the summer and uh, my parents let me go and it, that summer I tried to learn to smoke and I dyed my hair red neither of them worked <laughs> uh, so nice and easy isn't nice and easy um, but but you know I was there for the whole summer and at the end of the summer we had a very famous uh, director from Broadway to critique us. So mm. we got up on stage and did our, our work and our scene, and he would give everybody a critique. Who is so, the director? Uh, I'm not going to say his name. Okay. <laughs> um, he directed one of the longest-running shows on Broadway. And uh, so I got up, and I did my thing, and I stood there waiting for my critique, and he goes, you're a terrible actress. Get off the stage. Oh. You should ever act. And I was crushed. I was 15. I was crushed. And so I, you know, picked up my things in my heart and I ran out of there crying and I said, okay, well, you know, I guess I'll just be a professional, professional dancer because I really love to do that and sing. So I became a professional dancer. Um, years later, I'm doing summer stock and off Broadway and off, off and Broadway. And I was doing these little parts between the musical numbers. And some people said, you know, you're a really good actress on those little parts. Did you ever think of acting? And I said, well, yeah, I did. Somebody said, here, take this name, go study with this person. And it was Lee Strasberg. And I studied with Lee, and that was it. Then, you know, eventually I said, that's really what I want to do. So So don't ever tell anybody you can't do something. (laughs) It's cruel. You did summer stock with John Travolta. Tell us about that. It was great. Pennsylvania. Um, and, uh, we were doing musicals there and it was, you know, it was like the old movies where we're literally out in some small town in Pennsylvania with a dinner theater, but the whole town would go. And, uh, we did several musicals in the summer. He was, I think, 18 and, uh, it was great, but... I remember the moment I saw him on stage and he was in the chorus, you know, we were all in the chorus, but did little, you know, small parts. And, uh, I remember saying to my girlfriend, that kid's going to be a star. He had so much charisma on stage. Unbelievable. I mean, you just couldn't take your eyes off of him. Uh, That was before then he went on to Broadway to Greece and Welcome Back Cotter and Mm -hmm. everything else. But um, he and his, he had, I think, five brothers and sisters. They They had grown up in this. They had done dinner theater, summer stock since they were six years old. You know, he'd had acting training, dance, singing training. It wasn't like it happened overnight. He worked really hard, and it hit probably when he was like 20 or something, 1920. But but just so much charisma and magic and talent, just amazing talent. You say charisma and talent and magic, and it it makes me think of these early days of Broadway. And I'm curious, what is it like, kind of, I feel like it's such a dreamy, romantic, or at least romanticized moment of of being a chorus girl on Broadway. No, it was. It was my dream. That's what I went to do. And, uh, um, you know, at the time, it's, you know, I'm sure it's, it's different now. But at the time, if you were working on a Broadway show, everybody in your circles of dance, musical theater, everybody knew that you were. It was very special because you didn't have to go out of town for a job. You could just take the bus or the subway home at night, and you were in a show. And uh, it was great. It was it was a very, very fortunate thing to do. Um, and it's eight shows a week, and it's a lot of work, but oh. it was great. Oh, wow. It was just great. Yeah. How has Broadway changed now in your eyes? You know, I, I haven't seen any in, out of New York too many shows lately, but... To me, what 
what there's such a reversal because at the time if you did Broadway if you were you know an actor singer dancer and did Broadway you didn't go to Hollywood you didn't do television you didn't do commercials that was so beneath you Uh, theater was very respected and now what I see is that they would love they love to get television stars and film stars for Broadway because it's a guaranteed audience so it's almost the reversal now Mm -hmm. is that you go to Hollywood so you can do a Broadway show wow and that's where I see a lot has changed so, and, and I guess they pay more now, probably, too. I'm <laughs> sure they do. I was living high off of $350 a week back then. You know, well, great. those Hamilton tickets, boy, oh, boy. Right? Well, I'll tell you, the top, this was, we were, you know, top show, and for musicals, you paid more. Uh, front, you know, center row orchestra seats were $10.50, and they raised it to seventeen fifty. And we go, nobody's going to come for that. It's like, I, I think we're going to be out of business. And <laughs> the prices kept going up and going up. And, yeah. Yeah, it's like an Arclight movie ticket now. Yeah. Oh, I know, please. <laughs> it's like, you know, crazy. It's crazy. I'd love to pay that. Yeah. Uh, what was it like for you? You've been talking about transitioning in television. What was it like for you making the transition from Broadway to TV? Um, I guess I, I was fortunate. Very, I've been fortunate many, many times of my life. But, um, you know, I decided after, you know, pretty good career on Broadway that I really wanted to act because I'd been going to my acting class. That's what I want to do. And in New York, you know, casting directors or agents, they'd say, well, you sing and dance, you're, you can't talk. You know, you either sing and dance or you talk. You can't do both. And it was, it was very, you know, put in pigeonholes back then. So I said, okay, well then I'm going to just leave and I'm going to LA and I'm going to act and I'm not going to tell anybody that I do any of that other stuff. Uh, so I came out and I, you know, got my first job waitressing, like most people. Yeah. And then I, you know, had my picture with the casting director and I got an opportunity to audition for a part on Laverne and Shirley. So I went in there and to audition and I'm standing there with four other girls who are a lot taller, blonder and bigger than I was. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I am not right for this role at all. <laughs> and the next day they called me and they said, well, you know, booked you on a show I said well you must have the wrong person because I wasn't right for that Mm -hmm. and they said no 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 it's the same cast casting director as a show called Happy Days and they said you were very right for another part that they were you know casting so I got my first guest star on that and then they brought me back for three different characters um, and then they were casting, it's a long story, then they were casting another series, and they said, well, do you dance at all? I said, well, just a little, because I didn't want to get pigeonholed. <laughs> so we're doing a show called Blansky's Beauties. It's about dancers in Vegas. Yeah. So um, I got auditioned, I got cast for that, and uh, um, it was great. It was a great time, and we did, you know, dancing numbers with elephants and gold bikinis and well beyond his time and uh, lasted for about a year and then after that they were and by the way I quit my waitressing job I said to the producer do you think I can quit my waitressing job he said, yeah yeah I think it's okay now <laughs> so so then and it was at Little Tony's right down oh, on Lancashire wow. was my very first job and um, you know hardcore waitresses working till two or three in the morning and then I got uh, they wanted to audition for a role of Lori Beth for Ron Howard's girlfriend. So I auditioned with Ron and I got that and then I stayed on there for about eight years. So that was that was oh nice. Goodness. It was very nice. It was wonderful people. It was great. What was it like being a part of something so huge? You know? You know, 
at the time, I don't know that we were aware of how big it was. Mm-hmm. I mean, now it's it's such a piece of history. Right. But I joined this show in, uh, it was in season four, and we last 11 years. Mm-hmm. So we didn't know that it was going to last 11 years. Um, you know, at the time, it was the first year. And this was different. Television was so different back then. The first year, yeah, it did okay, nothing great. Mm-hmm. But the network said, let's give it a second season. Let's give it a try. And the second year, Henry Winkler really popped out of it. And it was only by the graciousness of Ron Howard, who it was his show, that stepped aside and let Fonz be the star of the show, really. Right. And uh, and the two of them are, you know, of course, great friends and worked so well together. But, um, you know, that's when the show really then started taking off, when the Fonz popped to the, you know, to the forefront of the show and became very popular. And this was a three-camera series, right? Yeah, it was three-camera. What is that kind of working with that much equipment and occasionally live audiences, if I'm not well, mistaken? Well, I was going to say, it was for me, it was such an easy transition because... You know, shooting sitcom is so different than it's three cameras, so different than single camera mm-hmm. because sitcom is shot like a play. We shot like a, you know, proscenium, and you know, you're kind of standing there next to each other, so you're on camera with, you know, two shot. Um, and uh, it's, it's in sequence, so it's front to back. Uh, you have a curtain call, you have an audience. It's very much like a play. So, mm-hmm. so it wasn't a hard transition because I was used to that. Um, but the first time I ever did it, I didn't, you know, I had never been any, done anything on camera really. And, um, I was doing a scene with Ron Howard and the director was yelling at me, get in a two shot, get in a two shot. So, (laughs) so I'm going, I don't know what that is. Oh no. And so Ron, the kind person he is, he just grabbed me and held me over by his shoulder. He says, just stay here. Don't move. Okay, <laughs> and I learned, you know, and I learned, and I learned comedy. I never, th- mm-hmm. I was studying, you know, method acting, Strasbourg. I thought I was going to be the next Meryl Streep, and there's already a great one, so I didn't have to do that. <laughs> and uh, somebody said you should do comedy. You look like you should do comedy. I said mm-hmm. I don't do comedy, and so I got a comedy show, and so I took some comedy classes, you know, because then I found out I really love comedy. But I had to learn. It's 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 harder than drama. Yeah. So much harder. Absolutely. Faster and, yeah. and trying to... Timing, everything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and have very ridiculous moments sometimes be genuine to you in the moment. I, I know it can be challenging. We actually have somebody in the chat. Hi, Felix Alvarez. Thank you for joining us. Um, and as you mentioned, uh, you're taking classes. He wants to know who were your acting mentors. You mentioned Lee Strasberg. Was there anyone else? I started else? with Strasberg. I started with another man named um, Sandy Meisner both very famous Um, and then in New York I studied with a man named David LeGrant who had studied with Strasburg and he'd tell us stories about how Marilyn Monroe used to sit next to him in their acting class (laughs) Um, and and I really really you know I'd say David was probably my mentor Mm. of anybody Um, and I there's another instructor in our program that coincidentally I met him out here he was teaching. I said I could use you on my faculty, and we had studied together in in New York back wow. then. And uh, I said, and he says the same thing. Everything that comes out of my mouth as a teacher is really what I learned from David. I mean, so it's still Strasbourg. It's still his technique. But Lee would say method. I don't know what method is. And we're all going. Well, you kind of invented the method. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I'd say you know there, and they were all all different, and all had something great to offer. So if we didn't subscribe to Method, what was his 
What was his goal for you guys? No, he was teaching. That's what he was teaching. <laughs> but he didn't want to call it the method. Oh. He says, no, it's the work. You just do the work. Copy, you know? okay. But it was very, all the same sense memory and, and emotional recall and, and all the same things. It sounds like he was one of those who's like... Uh, the the praise and, and and the prestige around it that's not what he was interested no, in no. and I, I think that's I mean I don't know how do you feel as an actor about that kind of approach do you believe it's all in the work as well yeah and it's it's you know we are talking about charisma and magic and all of that those things are important because that's something that the audience attracts to but you can't exhibit that if you don't know what you're doing and I and I. I am of the belief that technique is very important so that you don't have to use it. You learn it so that it's in you and mm-hmm. it, you have that to draw on, but but it gives you a solid playing field and that allows you to have the freedom to be charismatic and magical and and improvise when you feel and the confidence to do that. I think it was Al Pacino who said that uh, he, he relies on the method because there are moments where actors... Where- in real human beings go blank. He's like, well, you're not thinking anything. You're not doing anything. You're just living in this moment. He says that is where real acting exists. Right. And you need technique to get there. That's the thing. You know, you start with that. And the better actors don't think about technique. Mm-hmm. And I, I tell, you know, actors in our school, we're here to help you find your process. Some people feel that Meisner gets them there, Method gets them there. And I said, when you're an experienced actor, you won't think You'll be there. You'll just get there, and you won't think of what it takes to do that. It's like a little kid. You don't think about how what muscles you use to get up off the floor, mm-hmm. you know. But a little kid who's never walked is thinking about how do I do this. So it's the same concept. At some point, you've done it enough so that you don't have to break it down into what technique am I going to use. Mm-hmm. For those so. who probably don't know what Meisner is, okay. can oh, you just give me a, a brief... <laughs> It's just a different... They both, in my acting lesson, there's this guy named Stanislavski in Russia, and he thought, well, you know, acting needs to be more realistic. Mm. Uh, it was very representational up until then. And, uh, you know, there's a writer named Chekhov who's writing very realistic, emotional work, and the actors weren't really able to perform that in the styles that they were using so it's more of I feel it first and because of what I feel I do things out here and say things out here so um, you know from that school you know Method, Meisner, they both broke off from that. They both have their different philosophies. Meisner is more of I'm working in the moment off of my partner, and Method is more of I'm working on, you know, what I have from my past to draw from. And, you know, mm. there's there are two schools. I think they both work beautifully together. So because you need both. You know. We talked a little bit before the show. I asked if you had any projects com- coming up, and you said, I'm dedicating myself full-time to teaching. This okay. is what I do now. And I'm wondering... Uh, First of all, how did you get into teaching? And second of all, what is it that kind of sustains you through teaching? You know, I I have, I don't teach now as the chair. I tried it in the beginning and it was, my head was splitting with trying (laughs) to teach and run a department. Mm -hmm. Uh, And our department has grown, which is great. But um, I started teaching when uh, my daughter was born, uh, 1983. And I'd been on TV for 10 years, and I just really needed a break. And somebody said, why don't you teach? I said, I don't know. I thought about it, and I started teaching three students. 
I decided I liked it. I got more. Eventually, I opened my own school. Um, I had two schools, uh, down one in South Bay, one up here. And I loved teaching. I, it was something that I could use all that I learned from my instructors. And some of it I never had been able to use professionally. You know, I had been doing Ibsen and, and Williams and Shakespeare and all of this in training, but I never really got to use that as a performer. And I could use all of that and and give it to somebody else. And there's a point in your life, and I don't think you're there yet, but there's a point when you're older when you go, now I want to pass it on. There's a desire to pass it on from all that you've learned uh, because it feels more satisfying to do that. And uh, so I opened my own school, and I had my own school for 15 years, opened up a theater. I started managing actors. um, And so I did that for a very long time. And I said to someone, I have never, ever been bored with acting it's always a new discovery you could do the same script for a year and a half and it's always a new discovery um because it is everything is in the moment you change as a person you're going to change as an actor Mm. um so i don't know it's never it's never got me bored (laughs) what's the biggest misconception that students have going into acting great question uh a couple things one is that it's easy Mm. You know, well, I didn't know what else to do with my life, so I just thought I'd act. Oh, gosh. Acting is hard. It's the good ones, like any sport, anything else, the good ones make it look very easy. Um, that's probably the biggest misconception. The other thing is, um, if I'm a really good actor, I'll get an agent and manager, and I'll be on a series or on a movie. That's not always true. So, so the hard thing, I think, for actors, and, and I deal with students with this, is that most of your life, it's... Um, you know, I do something and I get rewarded for it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I clean my room, I get an allowance, I make study hard, I make good grades, uh, I get to graduate. In acting, you can be a really good actor, you can put your heart into it, you can, you know, work on the script, you can coach with somebody, you can be so prepared and you go in there and they don't like the color of your hair so you don't get the job. So there's no equality, and that's the hardest thing, I think, for actors to get, is that it's a toss of the dice. But if you don't deliver when you're in the room, you're not even in the game. Right. You know, you have to do that. It's not that you just show up. But when I was managing actors, I literally had, you know, one big lead of a series, and I had the executive producer said, lo- I loved him. He was the best guy in the room, but they didn't like his hair. Like, really? You must change the hair. Right. But they don't always think that way. Or mm-hmm. somebody reminds me, they, you know, at a at a final network call when it comes down to we've seen everybody and this is who we're casting for the family, this is the look we want. And as a result, I, I do ultimately believe everything's fair, but I had actors as a manager that some of them are very, very talented and just don't hit because they haven't waited long enough for that one person to get it Um, and others that just keep their nose to the grindstone talent wise they're hard workers but there's no magic there Mm -hmm. Uh, but they work and they're working actors so you just have to if you want to do it you just have to keep doing it there is no other way around it as you you say it's in the work Um, and it seems like you know going to class and and once you get your method down once you know your techniques and, and you have those skills put away and you're ready to go out into the working world what advice do you have to those just getting started where where should they look for their first roles everywhere uh, you know literally um it was interesting because my daughter is a was an agent mm-hmm. uh and now a manager 
and she was telling me about a new client and they you know self-produced acted and wrote a very short film put it up on Vimeo and the next day she had phone calls from producers interested in it had a phone call from a very big director who wanted to see this girl for a role and she was the only one and she he cast her in this wow. role and this was just 24 hours wow you know, yeah so it you have to self-market yourself mm-hmm. you have to be ambitious you have to knock on every door you have to put put yourself out there as you know one agent said i make 10 percent. you make 90 you have to do 90 percent of the work mm-hmm. and i don't think actors starting out understand that that you just have to keep going out there get in student films um i mean we have so many students filmmakers actors everybody doing very good quality films so you not only get uh material to show you get experience and nothing can pay for experience you know it's it's Mm -hmm. just i ride horses it's time in the saddle every time you're in front of the camera you become a better actor Mm -hmm. you know and they have to be willing to put in the time that's what's they think it's instant and easy it's not Right. So. so if they're spending part of their time performing, part of their time rehearsing, and part of their time advertising themselves or, or putting themselves out there, making the connections, is there, you say you ride horses, I'm interested to see if there's, if there's what, what else should be people be doing? Because I know a lot of art is influenced by things outside of the art. You know, like, for example, uh, um, Grace Coddington over at Vogue, she's a photographer, and one of my favorite things that she's ever said is that you never close your eyes. She's like, if I'm just in the car, I have to keep my eyes open. I have to always be looking for for different angles mm-hmm. so that I can bring that back to my photography. Is there yeah. things students can be doing to to improve their work? Yeah, I mean, just on, on the surface, it's reading scripts, reading screenplays, watching good actors, watching every film. Look at look at what good actors are doing. Look what good films are. No filmmakers, no different styles. Uh, watch period pieces, but but overall, as an actor, you really, you know, you're examining yourself, you're examining life, and I think people are the most fascinating things on this planet. And you know, as an actor, you have to have to observe, you have to watch people, listen, you have to be really observant to what's around you, because that's what what art is. Art is going to show a piece of life, and if you're closed off, and if you're always on your phone, and you're not out there seeing what else is going on. Mm-hmm. learn history you know learn about the news what's going on in the news it's just it's being aware of what's happening in the world i think makes you a better actor do you believe in you know because some people will say they either have it or they don't, don't. Mm-hmm. do you believe in that or do you think that that could be learned and taught and i think you either have the charisma or you don't okay that i have seen um and that doesn't come along all the time and you do not have a hundred actors at good actors in a room and a hundred have charisma that charisma that it factor that's something like a brad pitt Mm. you know where you can't take your eyes off of him john travolta had that um you know but you can learn the craft and be a well-crafted actor and that's probably ultimately more more valuable because i don't care how magical you are ultimately you might get you the first job but you have to get the second, third, and the 75th job. And that's craft. That's knowing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Love that answer. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, I've been watching Betty and Jones feud on FX. It's one of my favorite shows. Um, and there's a moment later in the season, uh, Betty is 
older in age and, and she just wants to work. Like she's just dying to do the work and she can't get these roles. Uh, and so she starts taking anything and they make this comment that this it sort of tanks her because she was not selective about her roles. They say she should have been more like Hepburn and, and mm. been selective and taken her time and, and made good roles for herself. Um, in today's world, we have so much media and so many places mm. in which to get yourself out there. And it's very competitive because people who've never taken an acting class, who have never dedicated themselves to learning the craft mm. of acting, have 20,000 followers and are getting cast because people think that, you know, if they have followers, we'll get money for the movie. Um, and they're making business decisions like that. How selective should beginners be in their roles? That's a it's a hard question to answer. I don't think they should do anything naked uh, because that will follow you everywhere. Sure, unless you get paid a lot of money for it. I'm just kidding about that, by the way. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I think you know I do think you have to in the beginning. You want to work. You want to get experience. Um, it has to be legitimate. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, student films. I've known, I had clients who did student films when they were starting out, and they were really good roles. Um, so I think you have to be willing to work a lot at small things, big things. Uh, but as you grow, and now you actually have some reputation or have a body of work under you, then I do think you have to be more selective and do things. And to me, there are several reasons to do a role. And this is how I handle my clients as a manager. Um, the money. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, there are reasons to do something for the money. The director, the, the rest of the cast, um, the production company you're working with. Is it a studio? Are they going to be doing a lot of projects? Um, or something that really you do for the love. I love this role. There's no money, no big director, low budget, but I've always wanted to do a role like this, and I can't mm-hmm. stop thinking about it. You know, so, so you have to choose, you know, and it's not always, most of those things do not mesh at the same time. Sure. Uh, so you have to choose, but, but there are different reasons to do different projects, mm-hmm. I think. Absolutely. Give us some advice, like some basic, very broad advice for auditioning. If you're just starting out auditions, what are the, the key elements you need to know before you step into that room? Okay. Um, if it's commercials, energy. you got to be personable, energy, be ready to rock and roll, improvise, be yourself, be kind of wild and crazy. Okay. If it's something that's a theatrical, mm. a sitcom, TV, a drama, a film, uh, be prepared. Be prepared, prepared, prepared. Coach with somebody, run it with somebody. Um, and when you go in, have a plan. Almost always actors go in going, well, I'm not really going to make that choice because what if they want that choice? And I'm not sure. So I kind of go in with my little gray. I won't really mm-hmm. commit. I'll do it kind of halfway so I won't make mistakes. And then wrong. Commit 120% to what you think this should be because that way they can see your talent. And they can then say, great, I love that. Let's do it a different way. And then you go, okay, great. But if they don't see anything, if they see gray, they don't go, well, they can't act. I don't see what I can do with you. So it's always make a 100% commitment to what your choice and make acting choices. Most people don't. They're so afraid. They just want to be good. The truth is, most dire- most casting directors, and casting directors will tell you this, they don't know what they want. <laughs> they know when they see it. Yeah. Uh, they want you to show me what this role is. And most actors don't realize that. They're going, I hope I get it right. I hope I do what <laughs> they want me to. They have no clue. 
Yeah. So you've got to show them the role. Point. I always told my actors, I said, if Robert De Niro was auditioning for this, mm-hmm. how would he do it? Would he be careful? Would he worry about making mistakes? Would he worry about getting all the lines right? Mm. No. He would do it with gusto. He'd do it 120% as Robert De Niro would choose to do it. You say worrying about the lines. The chat has another question for you. Uh, Improv during takes. Uh, Is there a limit? Should people just go for it? Do you need to consult with your director first? So, so, so doing doing imp- improvising takes, or uh, I guess maybe during auditioning. Like if okay. you're if you're auditioning and, and you have an idea of the character and you want to improvise, it. yeah, it's no. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Stick to the script. It, yeah, you because the producer or director might also be the writer mm. and values those words. The writers in TV. The writers are going to be in the room. Most of the writers are also the producers of the show. They don't want you changing the script. And remember, they, especially sitcom, they're getting paid a lot of money to do what they do mm. because they do it well. If you try changing it, they're going, first of all, not as good as I did it. Mm. And you're, you're risking that, well, how can I trust them on the set? You know, mm. there are shows where the director will say, for an audition, you know what? Be loose with it. You know, I know some stand-up comics who also are actors and audition for sitcoms. Be loose with it. Add whatever you want to add. Then, yes, go ahead and do it. But if you don't, stick to the script. Copy. You know, if you forget a line, that's different. But try to stick to the script. It's very important. You're just, like, rewriting the show. <laughs> well, Rude. Well, I will tell you, that brings in one quick story about Robin Williams. Yes, which please. Was, yes. We were in improv class together. And because I was trying to learn to be funny, uh, since I was on a sitcom. <laughs> and uh, he was great. So talented. And uh, mm-hmm. I got in the advanced class because I was on actually two TV shows at the same time. And I'm going, I know nothing. It was embarrassing. I'd go home and cry every night. I hated improv because I couldn't do it. And here were these mega improvisers. Robin would get up. He would either be brilliant or horrible. He did not <laughs> edit. No, he was fearless. Sometimes it was totally, you know, go, this is embarrassing. It bombed. But the other times it was brilliant. I many times had to be up on stage with him, and it was that was embarrassing because he would just talk, and he, you couldn't get anything in, and you're going, okay, I just stand here and be embarrassed. Um, but he couldn't get arrested as an actor because he couldn't stick to a script. Oh. Even when we would play with scripts and improv, the, you know, the director, Harvey Lim, would say, stick to the script. He just would go off on it. So they were casting. I was on a show called Happy Days. Um, they were casting a character called Mork. Yes. They could yes. not cast the role. It was down. They shot the show on Friday, and we're down to Wednesday now. Oh, and they yes. brought in all these actors. They couldn't find the, the actor to play this role. So I mentioned something to you know the late executive producer of the show, Gary Marshall. And uh, I told him about this guy. He's brilliant. He's funny. Hard time with the script, but he's very funny. And so the next day I see Robin in the office reading he did the audition standing on his head totally went off the script and the writers are there writing down everything did you get did you get that amazing so they got him here is somebody who got that he but also he could rewrite the script probably mm-hmm. as funny as they could brilliantly and they cast him as a guest star big hit gave him a series Mork and Mindy um, but he later learned to stick to a script but but just they trusted him, but he stuck to who he was, and it did work for this. That's mm-hmm. why I say somebody will find that you are the right person for this. 
um, you do have to play by some of their rules. But uh, then, you know, he's on the set and he's running around. They give him direction. Go there, there, there. <laughs> then come down the stairs. And so this old cameraman, Sam, he's like Cecil B. DeMille, I think. <laughs> and he's standing there. We were filmed at the time. Film camera here. And... Robin comes down the stairs, zips over here, goes to the ceiling, somersaulting, runs off. And Gary Marshall goes, hey, Sam, did you get that? And Sam goes, he didn't come by here. (laughs) So they added the fourth camera just for Robin. And then you have now sitcom doing four cameras. Amazing. Isn't that amazing. He just got How? so much information. Oh, I know. I'm, I'm like talking. That's so, amazing. But, but one person can change the industry. I mean, just change everything. Well, here's here's what I just learned in there. We had the head animator of the genie um, from Aladdin come in. He did the little um, uh, Moana figure uh, from The Rock in the mo- movie Moana. Okay. Um, and he, he talks about watching Robin do the voiceover and how he would just imitate his... So I, I like hearing that at the start of his career, writers were inspired by him. And even in the middle, at the height, when he's doing Aladdin and he's playing the genie, that people are still inspired by his performance. Two, you kind of gave Robin Williams his foot in the door. Yeah, and, and you know, this is what I say. It's like, if you're in this business, especially actors, mm-hmm. you can't be jealous of each other. You've got to support each other. Everybody's in this together. Mm-hmm. There is no competition. There is room for everybody to succeed. You know, and that's one thing I had to deal with the actors that I that I managed mm-hmm. is like a, a lot of jealousy. I'm going, it wasn't your role. There is room for you to do that. I even had some actors say to some, you know what? I went up for this role. I wasn't right. Why don't you call your agent? You should go in for this. That's generosity, and that's mm-hmm. how it should work. Because you never know who's going to be next to you in class or who's going to help you out. Right. You know. Um, so good karma will come around. It will. Yeah. No, it will. I think so. You have to. You have to help each other out. Absolutely. Um, we've got just a little bit more time. I want to ask you very quickly. In building these relationships, as you say, I know a lot of people are kind of nervous to start relationships outside. Like, so meeting with other actors is one thing. You might meet a director in a rehearsal or something. Right. But I've heard that building good relationships with actors and um, casting directors is, is really important. But how do you do that when you're you're just kind of going in front of them and, and doing a little song and dance and then leaving? How do you build cultivate those relationships? Well, it's hard to build relationships with casting directors outside of going in reading for them. I mean, and and so how you do build a relationship on that in is obviously you have to get in the door with them. Um, I've had casting directors say that they've, you know, have actors just drop off a picture and resume old school mm-hmm. and they like the picture and resume and they call them in. Just, hey, why not? They made the effort. Let me see what he does. But, you know, if you go in for a, for a top casting director, that casting director, believe me, will cast other projects and they have casting director friends. Yeah. So, more than many times I've had somebody say, well, um, Francine, you know, Francine Maisler recommended your client to me. I'm looking for this thing. I told them about your client. So you might be right for maybe one out of 50 roles, but if every time you go in, if you, if a casting director likes you, they will bring you in for things, even that maybe you're not exactly right for, Mm -hmm. but they like you. They know they can, you know, get a good performance out of you and they want to give it a shot with the director to say, Look, try this person. Not right. I can't tell you how many times as a manager, the role, the person who got the role was totally different from the from the description in the script yeah. because they liked that actor. Mm-hmm. They said, "I like him. Let's make it work for this actor." So the the good relationship is about going in prepared, doing a good job, not wasting their time, and you know, coming up to what they expect of you. 
Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you so much for, for being oh, with us today. I feel like we're always digging for the, the magic secret. Yes. Like, how, yeah. how do we get on? And, and I love that today we learned, like, it's just put in the work. It's just it do is. the work. Grind hard. Come prepared. And, and put yourself out there. Yeah, you don't know who's going to give you that first shot. You really don't. It's excellent. Thank you so much. We, we learned You're so welcome. much from you today. Um, <laughs> it's a history lesson. <laughs> you guys, if you have more questions, comments, you can always, uh, in the chat below, uh, on iTunes, make sure you guys give us a rating. Let us know what you're thinking, who you'd like to see come on the show, what you subjects you'd like to talk about. If you guys want to talk about anything, we will try to find somebody to bring them in here to inform you and, and, and give you guys that kind of insight, because that's what we're here for. Um, in the meantime, we'll be back. Um, if you guys checked in uh, a couple weeks ago, Peggy interviewed Peter Rayner yes. about his amazing career as um, a film reviewer he's going to come in and do an entire class just about Marlon Brando next week and he has got some really specific thoughts um, and some great insight into this iconic figure of American cinema so I'm so excited to talk to Peter Rayner about that next week we'll be right back here at 4 o'clock we might be earlier check the schedule but we'll be (laughs) back here next week I want to say thank you so much for joining us as always here at the New York Film Academy Hour thanks guys we'll see you next week thank you Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, Christian Harloff, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network. We would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.